And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. It is the second best day of the week. That's right, because it's Thursday. That means tomorrow's Friday and it's almost the weekend. Amazing how fast this week went by. I mean, it just was like here and gone. And it was kind of like a Biden meeting. I mean, like, you know, it was it was there and gone before you knew it. Not much happened. <laughs> so, Thank goodness. <laughs> just joking. Anyway, uh, getting to the markets this morning. Um, not much to really talk about. Nothing really happened this week. Oh, yeah, Fed meeting yesterday. That's the thing. Um, markets yesterday sold off after the Fed basically said, well, you know, we might have to hike rates a little bit sooner than expected. And, uh, of course, uh, everybody was focused on the Rorschach test which was the, <laughs> the, Fed, the Fed's dot plot. And if you can, you know, you kind of look at it as like you can make it out whatever you want and, you know, spiders and, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> so anyway, those dots moved up here a little bit. Looks like rate hikes coming in 2023. Market says, ha, we're not going to wait till 2023. We're saying you're going to raise rates by the end of next year, right? 2022. Markets don't like that. That's a bit more hawkish. Markets did sell off yesterday. Now, a couple of very important things here are happening because of that. First of all, the Fed is wrong uh, on a couple of fronts. They raised their growth rate for the economy and they raised their inflation rate for this year. Those are likely going to be wrong by the end of this year. And why do I say that is because I've been tracking the Fed's uh, predictions ever since they started putting them out on a quarterly basis back in 2011. And guess how many times they've been right? Never. <laughs> never. They have never gotten it right at all. They are always too high. They always have great expectations. They are never right. They won't be right again this year. And bank loans and monetary velocity will tell you that though they are not going to be right. Those are plummeting right now. And that really tells you kind of where we are in the stage of the cycle. But Outside of that, markets did pick up on the fact that this is now really not great for markets. Markets did sell off yesterday. We're going to open down again this morning. Now, here's the important part about our signals. We've been telling you that we're very, very close to the turn in these signals. And this, you know, this market advance had been very weak. We'd been opening up and selling off and rallying back at the end of the day. Uh, participation had been weak and, and really kind of volume overall, but the, the participation actually in the market was not great. Even though we were kind of eking up along this 20-day moving average, yesterday we did sell off. We actually hit the 20-day moving average yesterday. We're gonna probably break through that today as we open up. But again, with yesterday now, this is important. The these signals don't matter really until the end of the week. So it's it's today and tomorrow. But if this continues, we are we actually triggered a money flow sell signal yesterday. And because this advance in the market had been so slow here over the last really last two weeks, it's just been this really slow grind. 
that allowed moving averages to catch up. So the moving average convergence divergence, which is often known as the MACD indicator, all that tells you is, is how close moving averages are to each other. And that one is about ready to cross. Now that's generally a fairly good sell signal for markets. Now, I know this technical stuff, it's kind of mumbo jumbo, no worries. Michael Leibowitz and I are writing a book called the RA Toolkit. We're gonna to have it out later this year, I hope. Um, and actually goes through all of these indicators, tells you how to use them, tells you how to put them into, into practice for yourself. So we'll have that desk reference for you uh, later on this year, hopefully um, as soon as we can get it published. But we're working on it, but that's, that's, that's an up and coming thing. Um, anyway, um, looking at this, the important thing is not just what happens today and tomorrow, because if we flip this out and look at this, and again, we've discussed this previously, but the weekly signal, also flipped yesterday. Now, that doesn't really suggest anything until we close on Friday. Weekly signals only matter when you close on Friday, but we now have a sell signal potentially. If the market sells off today and tomorrow, we're gonna have a sell signal on the weekly basis as well. Now, generally when we get that daily weekly lined up, that's where you get into a little bit more corrective action for the markets. That doesn't mean the markets have huge declines. It's not we're about to enter into the next bear market. I'm not saying that. But you typically have a pickup in volatility. In other words, markets tend to chop around a whole bunch more. You potentially get a 5 to a 10% correction. Certainly possible. Uh, markets are very elevated and very extended. And if more concerns about the Fed being more aggressive about monetary policy start to weigh in, we could see that corrective action kind of pick up here over the next really kind of couple of weeks. But you also want to really pay attention to some of the other indicators of this as well. Um, when we take a look at uh, Treasury yields yesterday, they actually bounced really sharply uh, yesterday. And, and we saw interest rates actually pick up. Bond yields also rising there. And that's because of this idea that the Fed's going to be a little bit more aggressive, hiking rates, inflation pressures higher than expected. Um, if rates start to push back up towards about two, two and a quarter percent, that's really about all the economy is going to be able to take. So that's going to, so higher interest rates are going to start to slow economic growth even more, and that's going to put a lot more pressure. Now, come September, see, we've got all these things kind of lining up. I'm telling you all these things now because these are all kind of lining up here over the next couple of months, and that's the risk for the markets. Because in September, you've got almost 10 million people coming off those extended unemployment benefits as well. So all, if you've been watching retail sales as of late, those have been declining sharply because stimulus payments are done, right? We've, we've sent out all these stimulus payments. People have spent the money. There's not a lot of leftover cash left over. So when these other 9 million people, 10 million, almost 10 million people come off these unemployment claims by September, that's going to be another damper to spending in the economy. So that's going to be another deflationary drag in the economy as we get into third and fourth quarter of this year. So that also says that we also want to pay attention a little bit to the dollar and inflation that is weakening is actually good for the dollar and the dollar actually picked up here sharply yesterday so again we've had this kind of uh, rotation here within the markets so again just kind of pay attention to risk here again don't mistake what i'm saying here we've got a couple of sell signals that are popping up here short term suggest that we're going to have a little bit of market weakness here over the next potentially couple of weeks or so depends on how and and importantly depends on how we close the market on friday so this could all reverse tomorrow if we have a very sharp update now yesterday on the show 
when we were doing the morning wrap, we said, look, the Fed's going to talk today. And, and because the markets wound so tightly, the market's going to be up 1% or down 1% by the end of the day. And we were down 1% roughly yesterday. So again, we're going to be down a little bit more this morning at the open. We'll see how the market plays out today. Again, don't make any rash decisions here. We are paying attention to these sell signals very closely. But again, don't really make a lot of, of, of rash decisions here until we see how the market kind of digests the action uh, from yesterday into today. We are going to see some weakness. We're going to see some rotation within the markets. I would expect to see a little bit of a shift um, back towards the inflation trade here momentarily. But uh, again, you know, longer term, the deflationary pressures are still the bigger drag on the overall economy. And that's gonna really provide a, a tailwind ultimately for stocks that can generate growth, regardless of any type of environment you're in. That's gonna really come back to tech stocks eventually. So again, we're gonna see a lot of rotation in the market uh, here over the next day or so. So again, one more time, I just wanna be very clear, pay attention to the risk. There are certainly some big warning flags right now in the markets. Again, doesn't suggest we're going to have a major sell-off, but could have a, a little bit of a pickup here, a volatility to where you know it's going to be a little bit challenging. But don't make any rash decisions just yet. Let's get through today and tomorrow, see how the markets kind of digest what the Fed said. And then this weekend's newsletter will kind of lay out what the, kind of the next strategy is. Again, go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. You can get subscribed there. And of course, we'll cover it every day um, right here on the show and our three minutes on markets and money. Be right back with Michael Leibowitz. Talk all about the Fed. Don't go away. She brings on her painful Listening to the Real Investment Show. You could be one of the seven in ten people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than seventy-six hundred dollars a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. June. 24th at noon. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Morning. It's uh, 617 on this Thursday edition. That means Michael Leibwich joining us this morning. Talk a little bit about the Federal Reserve. And of course, uh, yesterday was the uh, the much anticipated Federal Reserve meeting. You know, were they going to stop thinking about thinking about tapering and potentially start talking about talking about tapering? Well, you know, that was really kind of the uh, the essence of the, the conversation yesterday. And, and the takeaway was at the end of the day, everybody looked at each other and says, what did he just say? Because... <laughs> You know, while he was talking about talking about tapering, he was also saying, hey, don't pay attention to the dot plot. Just take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> we don't really use that. We just kind of put it out there for you uh, just to see what you want to do with it. Um, Marcus didn't believe it too much, though. Uh, they did take it with a grain of salt and, and did sell off the markets a bit yesterday. Marcus will be down a little bit more this morning. Um, while the Fed says they're not going to raise rates until 2023, uh, the markets are suggesting they may raise rates as soon as 2022. Um, which has a lot of implications uh, for markets. So to discuss this in a lot more detail, I've got Michael Leibowitz with me this morning. Talk a little bit about the, the Fed takeaway and what it means for markets and your money, of course. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good, good. So what so, was your uh, initial takeaway from the uh, meeting yesterday? 
It, it was an interesting meeting, and I think it's pivotal. it was a pivotal meeting regarding Fed policy and their stance to the uh, pandemic and recession. Um, so you're right. They said, we're, you know, they went from uh, not even thinking about it to talking about it. And what's interesting is the Fed statement was barely changed. They changed a few words, but they really didn't change much in the statement. So Powell comes out and he is starting to talk. Actually, what did change is every every quarter they put out their what they call their dot plots. And those are their economic projections. And they believe that GDP is going to run 7% this year. But I think more importantly, and what kind of scared the market initially was that their inflation expectation for the year rose by 1%, both the regular and core, which excludes food and energy, which we don't use food and energy, so who cares about that? Um, so, so initially, it's you know this concern that growth is red hot and that inflation is running faster than than even the Fed expected. So the market fell on that, and then Chairman Powell came out at uh, 2:30 Eastern to to talk, and he kind of kept. He kind of kept uh, this point alive that the Fed is prepping the market to do something, right? It doesn't mean they're going to do something at the next meeting, but I think their tone has definitely changed. Um, you know, he said the rise in inflation could be persistent. He, uh, I think one of the most telling comments was he said something to the effect, this is an extraordinary, extraordinarily unusual situation. We don't have a playbook for this because we've never been in this. So we have to be humble and we have to understand that things can happen that we're not going to be able to predict. And I think that holds true for all of us. Right? I, I kind of have to been, chuckle at that because that's been the same story since 2009. We've never been here before, so well, we're just going to have to see how things go. <laughs> yeah, but he actually said it out loud yeah, versus no. acting so confident. Right? They, they've been so confident. We know what right. we're doing. We have the toolbox. We'll take care of this. Right. Right. Bernanke, Yellen, all of them. Right. Greenspan. They act so confident. And I think it was the first time we saw a little bit of reality from the Fed. Uh, it's the first time I've heard it, at least. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the, you know, so the takeaway is they're getting ready to tell us about taper. You know, it's probably not going to be the next meeting, which will be late July. In late August, the Fed meets at Jackson Hole every year. And my guess is something comes out at that point, if mm -hmm. not the meeting after that. But. What we've talked about after the last meeting, we said, pay attention to what all the other Fed members are saying. Powell's a spokesman, but all the other Fed members have somewhat of a voice. And a bunch of them came out and, and said that they prefer to start tapering sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that voices, those voices are going to get louder over the next couple of weeks. They're going to start talking, I guess, as early as today. And I think we're going to hear some of them saying we should be tapering you know, possibly by the end of summer, uh, well, if not that, sooner. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, the the you know, the problem that the Fed has had really for the last really twelve years is that, you know, they continued monetary policy and, and and we've written some articles on this previously as well, talking about this is that the Fed should have been acting, you know, long ago, back in two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, they should have been hiking rates and you know trying to normalize things while you had all this liquidity coming into the market so you know while you're doing 120 billion so and to 
case in point now, right? You're doing $120 billion a month to support financial markets and the economy. Okay, great. Start hiking rates. Yeah, the market won't go up as much. Maybe the market will even sell off a bit because you're hiking rates, but it won't crash because of all that underlying liquidity you're putting in. Get your rates back to a normal level. Then let the markets you know, kind of adjust to that new rate. Then you can kind of start to taper some of your purchases, start working that off, and kind of work yourself back to, to a, a, a normal position so that when the next recession comes, you've got lots of stuff in your toolbox to work with. But, right. you know, we never right. do that, right? We're, we're always, you know, blowing and going until something blows up, and then we've got to go deeper into that toolbox, go another $5 trillion into debt to try to solve an economic problem. And so they're actually they're making things a whole lot worse for themselves from a deflationary standpoint, because of all the debts and the deficits, um, making it harder on them to work in the future. Right, right. I think you're right. If they would have been doing this all along for the last 20 years where they apply their stimulus, but then they take it away quickly mm -hmm. and they're a little more, uh, I don't want to use the word active, but they're, they'll take off what they put on just as quickly. Mm -hmm. First of all, the market wouldn't be where it is now. It would be lower. About and half. therefore the effect, right, therefore the effect of what they would be removing Right. There's no reason they should be buying 40 billion of mortgages mm -hmm. a month right now. That is beyond ridiculous. Right. There's right. a surge in home prices. Rental prices are now going through the roof. The mortgages are at the lowest level they've ever been. What are we doing? Why are we stoking a bubble? And I've seen some graphs that show that the cost of housing to incomes is higher than it was in 2008. It's not sustainable. Well, look, and that, here's, here's another point, right? So the Fed has a very, very cozy relationship with BlackRock, um, which is a $9 trillion asset management firm, largest asset, one of the largest asset managers on the street. Okay, so they have a very cozy relationship. So when the Fed goes out, and how cozy a relationship are you talking about here, Lance? Well, how about when the Fed goes out to buy junk bonds and to buy a lot of these treasuries and things they do? Guess who actually facilitates those trades for them? Oh yeah, that's BlackRock, and they charge they charge the Fed almost a two percent annual fee to do that. <laughs> so they're making a killing on this. Plus, they're using you know a lot of the BlackRock ETFs to buy as well. So you know, BlackRock, and, and Lance, where do some BlackRock employees work? At the Fed, actually, quite a few of them work for the Fed and the Biden administration as well. So on sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, there's a there's a very very cozy relationship. So you know, at this point, we've got this house thing going on, the Fed should be telling BlackRock, hey, stop buying up entire neighborhoods of houses and turning them into rentals. You're causing an inflation in price by the you know stuff you're doing. I mean, you know, you've got institutions now involved in the real estate market chasing asset prices as well. So, you know, all this just, you know, what the Fed is doing, it, it just fuels these, uh, you know, price increases across all asset classes. It really doesn't matter what it is. Right. And, and BlackRock, to your point, is buying up a bunch of communities. Yeah. BlackRock treat to BlackRock, those are assets. And when assets fall and they don't think the prospects are as good, they will sell. Mm -hmm. So what happens when BlackRock has to sell whole communities at a time? Right? Are they gonna find another institutional buyer that can buy the whole community? Or are they gonna have to sell them one by one to families, homeowners? And they're just setting up. This is another great example how the Fed, this one's indirectly, because right. BlackRock's buying these these communities on their own. They're not buying it on behalf of the Fed. But the Fed has made it so easy for them. Their borrowing rates are next to nothing. Mm -hmm. 
and there's so much cash out there, they have to buy something. Right. Yeah, and and, and, that, and that's the problem, you know, is is that you know, 120 billion dollars a month in liquidity is a lot of money that you've got to get put to work. So, right. And in the meantime, they're pricing people out of houses. Right. Right. They're, it's just creating, you know, a disaster. That that's what's really going on. They're really creating an economic disaster, especially for the lower, you know, the middle class and the lower classes who are getting priced out of neighborhoods that they should be able to afford. Right. And look, we we've you know if you take a look, and we've talked about this before. You know, when you talk about the asset markets, right, the financial markets itself, only you know the top ten percent of of income earners own ninety percent of the stock market. So you know, when you look at households. You know, everybody thinks, well, everybody's getting rich in this market. No, they're not. The bottom 50% own hardly nothing. Um, right. You know, the next, you know, 40% own very little you know, of the of, of the market. And the rest of it's owned by the top and, 10. And what they own is in 401ks or IRAs yeah. that they can't touch anyway for years. Exactly. Or decades so, even. Yeah. And, and, it's, and, you know, that's, but that's also a lot of this distortion that we've seen, you know, in the markets over the last, you know, 12 years in particular. It just keeps getting worse and worse because those with assets in the financial markets, those that have liquidity are able to take advantage of what the Fed's doing. Majority of people don't because they don't have the excess cash. They're living paycheck to paycheck, and that's one of the big kind of misnomers right now. Is like you know, re, you know, uh, individuals, you know, households are wealthier than ever, right? These households have just rafts of cash sitting around. They don't. Ninety percent of the households are living paycheck to paycheck. Top ten percent, right. they got cash in money markets, right? But they're they're you know they're already well healed. They're not needing to go out and buy a bunch of stuff, and that's why they've got a bunch of a bunch of stuff in cash. They've already accumulated all the stuff they need, so they are saving a lot of cash. But the bottom ninety percent, they've already spent, and the top ten didn't get stimulus payments. The bottom ninety percent that got all the stimulus payments, they've spent them all, and that's why you're right. seeing what's going on with retail sales, and that's going to potentially, you know, even worsen here over the next couple of months. We just talked about on the opening segment that nine almost 10 million people will come off unemployment benefits in september and that's going to be a huge fiscal cliff for the markets as well as the economy be right back with michael leibowitz right after the break don't go away You're listening to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual Lunch and Learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual Lunch and Learn on long-term care. June 24th at noon. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Ned Travers. Mike Lee was joining us and talking a little bit about the Fed yesterday, the Fed meeting, of course. And the big question is, is when will they taper? How will they taper? When will it matter, right? And this is kind of an interesting thing here because there's already articles. It's amazing how quickly these things occur. 
Um, just yesterday, the Fed talks about, hey, we're, we're thinking about thinking about talking about tapering, right? <laughs> we're starting to move into that direction. And already there's articles out this morning saying, well, it's different this time. They're going to be able to taper this time and the market's not going to come apart at the seams. Well, every time they've tapered previously, we've had anywhere from 10 to 20 percent corrections or more. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, all you have to do is go look at a, a, and we just did this recently in an article we wrote. We actually overlaid the Fed's balance sheet changes, right? Whether they were expanding the balance sheet or contracting it or just keeping it stable and related that to the performance in the market. And there's about a, an 80% correlation between the Fed's balance sheet and the market in terms of this these changes. So, Yes, if they taper, you're taking liquidity out of the markets and the markets survive on liquidity at this point. And and look, just over the last few weeks, we've been talking about, you know, the markets have been rising here lately, but money flows have been deteriorating this entire time. Participation has been less and less and less in the markets. And, you know, this is something that is going to be very important going forward. When the Fed starts to taper, that is the beginning of the clock doesn't mean you're going to get a correction to tomorrow. doesn't mean you're going to get a correction next week or next month. The Fed's not starting to taper yet. But when they do, that starts the clock really to where you're going to get your next correction. And when they start hiking rates, whether it's in 22 or 23, doesn't matter. That's the clock to your next bear market. So right. go ahead, Mike. And I think you got to be careful because there's different people look at that clock different ways. Hmm. I think the clock started yesterday. Right. They're not going to taper for months. Right. But, you know, some people and a lot of institutional investors look very carefully at what Jerome Powell said yesterday. And to them, to me, he sent a clear signal that the next thing the Fed is going to do is taper. Right. He didn't tell us what date. He wasn't clear in his words. There was a lot of, you know, Fed gibberish, economics, uh, a lot of higher level talk to try to to try to kind of hide their intentions. But I think he made it clear what they're doing. So the question is, we know what's going to happen. We know the correlations between how varying assets do when the Fed is buying and when the Fed is not buying. So, you know, we're on warning now. Doesn't again, we're not going to sell off immediately. We may we may not. But I think you have to take the market with a different, to use Powell's words, a different grain of salt than you did prior to yesterday, right? You have to understand that the liquidity backing this market is now, to some degree, and a small amount of it is in jeopardy. And it's not the, it's not necessarily the actual liquidity, but it's the psychology and the liquidity. And that psychology is changing, and the liquidity will change at some point. Right. You talked about retail sales. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, what, 15 percent above where they were. Right. And this retail sales is one of the most dependable trends. It just goes up at a 45 degree angle, drops during recessions and then starts going back up at a 45 degree angle. If you take that 45 degree angle from the post from the last recession to where we are prior to covid, it was, a night again, a nice 45 degree line. We're 15 percent above that line. Mm-hmm. By, you know, by definition, we're going to have to come back to that line. The same is true with the housing market. The same is true with the stock market. Right. Again, it doesn't mean we're dropping on day two after the Fed announces taper back to that trend line or below that trend line. But the Fed has introduced a new risk. And I think it's going to make it harder 
<clears throat> for the market to keep hitting new highs. Right. It's it's just applying another layer of pressure. And we were seeing this right, right before the last the last month or two. The market felt like it was running out of steam. It hit highs earlier this week, new record highs earlier this week. But, you know, we had how many days did we have where the market was up or down by less? The S&P was up or down by less than a few points. Mm-hmm. Right. We hadn't really seen that since covid. Right. right? It, it's just running out of steam. It's looking for its next impetus. Everyone that's wanted to buy has bought. Well, now we got a new regime coming in and we have to pay careful attention. And again, I think what it means is that we know where fundamentals are. Fundamentals like retail sales are way too high. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Hasn't mattered. But it's a layer of warning. It says, you know, it, it's we know eventually fundamentals will matter and they will get back to somewhat of a normal rate. Well, now there's a second warning, and that's what Fed Powell, you know, Fed Chairman Powell kind of voiced yesterday. And we're going to hear more of it over the next few weeks from other Fed members. So we're not selling off immediately necessarily, but I think we just have to be even more cautious going forward that there's another driver of this market that is slowly going to be removed. Right. And, and again, you know, when you start looking at things like retail sales and, and you know, this is something that people are like, oh, OK, what's retail sales? Retail sales is 40 percent of personal consumption expenditures, which is 70 percent of GDP. So um, when you look at the fact that we drag forward five years worth of, of sales into retail, um, you know, all those people that, you know, didn't have money to buy stuff with. We gave them money. They went out and bought a bunch of stuff. Well, that's great. But now the hangover is going to come. I mean, if you take a look right. at things like RV sales, how many people buy RVs, right? And there's been a massive surge of people going, I'm going to go buy an RV. I don't know why, but they are. So there's been this huge, massive surge of people going out to buy RVs. RVs are, are like a boat, um, you know, the, the two the two best days of buying a boat are the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Um, and, and an RV is pretty much the same way because you buy it. It's great. It's like, OK, well, now I got to go find a place to park it and store it. And, you know, I'm going to maybe use it twice a year or whatever it is. And I'm paying taxes and a monthly bill on it. So, so and it breaks. And then, uh, then so what's going to happen on the other side of this, of course, is there's going to be a massive surge of people wanting to sell RVs, um, put those back out in the market. So, there's, there's, so the point is, is that all of this stimulus was great. And, 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 and by the way, BlackRock's not going to be there to buy those RVs. RVs, right? exactly. <laughs> but they, they may. You never know. Uh, <laughs> You know, but there's going to be this hangover effect. It's, it's going to come back, it's just like with used cars, right? We have these massive surge in used car prices because Hertz and Avis and everybody else sold all their cars off. So there was this lack of used cars in the market. People with fresh stimulus checks ran out to buy a new used car, a new used car. And, you know, we've now got people way overpaying for used cars. So, you know, they're going to be stuck with that thing for a while. And that's going to lead to this bigger drag down the road of car sales in the next couple of years. And so we don't ever think about the payback on this stuff. We just think about, oh, man, this is great. And we assume it's going to last forever. And this is the Fed. This is the mistake the Fed makes consistently Uh, throughout their predictive history. They're always wrong. They're never right um, because they always assume that the trend is going to remain the same. Whatever's happening now, that's just going to remain the same over the next couple of years. And that's not the case. The payback is coming. And it's just a question of whether it's this month, next quarter, quarter after that, next year. There's the payback is coming. It's just a question of when. 
Right. And, and I think, you know, what's a little more troubling, too, is we got the Fed that's thinking about talking about thinking about removing liquidity. At the same time, the pent up demand is largely gone. Those direct stimulus checks have largely been spent. There's still some in savings potentially, but that's been largely spent. Right. People are kind of back to normal lives again. Mm -hmm. Right. So we can't expect what we've seen over the last nine months. It's going to fade. And then you got, you know, we all bought, you know, everyone bought stuff. Right. If you bought the used car and you really were going to wait to buy it in 2023, you don't have to buy it in the future because you got one now. Mm -hmm. And that holds true for a lot of things. Right. So, yeah, there'll probably be some more improvement in the travel industry, airplanes, restaurants to some degree. Mm -hmm. But but a lot of that is going to come to an end pretty quickly. And we're going to have the hangover on top of the Fed removing liquidity. So, again, you know, the, the next six to nine to months to a year are going to be different than what we've been through. And we've been through craziness. <laughs> right. But the craziness of the last three months of the spending of the just buying at any cost is completely unsustainable. Wages cannot are not keeping up with any of this. Wages our income is the means to consume. Right. Mm -hmm. So either people are going to take out a ton of credit card debt, which they haven't been. Or they're just running out of money. Right. And they've bought the things they need. So. You know, I think we got a wreck. We have a reckoning coming up between a, a whole confluence of events over the next, you know, yeah. months. Yeah. And, I, and I'd be a little cautious with that, you know, credit card debt part, because, again, a lot of that skewed by the top 10 percent of income earners that paid off a lot of their credit card debt because they weren't going out and spending stuff. So they just paid off the credit cards. Right. But, you know, a lot of the, the households, yeah, they didn't maybe spend as much on credit cards because they were getting checks. But now that's about to reverse. And we're going to start to see that, you know, now that they've gotten used to this kind of new lifestyle, now they're going to go back into debt to kind of sustain it here for a while until the bill comes due. So, right. you know, that's going to play a little bit of catch up here over the next, you know, next few months. We'll see a lot of these trends start to reverse. You know, people did learn, um, you know, the, I've heard a lot of commentary lately. People learned to be savers during the pandemic shutdown, right? They learned to be financially frugal. No, they didn't. They just were taught that, hey, the government's going to send me a check. And now people are going back into that spending habit, expecting that they're going to get another check. The problem is when the check doesn't show up. Right. And so that's that's another payback that we'll likely see here by the end of the year. All right. Quick break. We're going to come back. We'll answer some YouTube questions this morning uh, since Mike is here and uh, we'll uh, talk some more about the markets and where we uh, what our money flow signals are saying now and what we're going to do next. Be right back after the break. Don't go away.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. June 24th at noon. realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. back to the show this morning. So let's head to our YouTube questions this morning. Uh, we always appreciate you uh, watching the show and asking questions. So we're kind of uh, going to start using the last segment of the show to answer your questions. So feel free to ask questions in the uh, chat chat bar there on the side of our, of the YouTube channel. Just uh, go to your, our, if you want, haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, you can do that right at our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. And that way you can also also watch all of our other videos and presentations and other things that we do that you don't see during the live show. There's all kinds of stuff there all the time. Uh, a couple things this morning. We talked about the fact that uh, I was doing going through some technical mumbo jumbo this morning for the opening, and I talked about the uh, book that Mike and I are writing, and uh, it's called the uh, RA Toolkit, and it's going to cover the basics of investing, fundamentals, economics, macroeconomics, just a whole variety of things. And it's written to be very concise. So in other words, chapters are going to be like two pages long. <laughs> so we understand people have a very short attention span these days. So we're writing a book for those with short attention spans, lots of pictures, a little bit of text. <laughs> so, <laughs> But it's something you keep on your desk and you say, hey, you know what, what, when he's talking about MACD, what does that mean? Well, you can just go right to your book and you'll be able to, anyway, we're gonna have that out later this year, I hope. Um, so a couple of questions here. One, uh, and I'll just throw this one to Mike. So we're talking about, you know, the fact, well, actually, let's back up before we get to that. Let me just kind of re refresh where we are. Yesterday's sell-off did trigger our money flow signals. Now, that doesn't mean, I want to be really clear about this, that doesn't mean the markets are about to crash. Okay, it just means that we're likely going to see a period of a pickup in volatility. In other words, instead of having these days like Mike was talking about a minute ago, where we're you know just up you know 0.15 on the market or down 0.15 on the market, we may start to see bigger swing days where we're going to be up or down you know by a percent or more. So that's the potential, right? We could see a five to a ten percent correction. That's possible. Uh, market might not go anywhere. We may just chop up and down for the course of a month or so, go nowhere and work off the sell signal and work off some of the overbought conditions and wind up in a, and back into a buy signal. That's all these signals tell us. They just tell us that, that we're in for a period of a volatility pickup. And we want to be cautious about that relative to our exposures. So one of the questions that triggers, of course, is now would now be a great time to buy some S&P puts. And, you know, the problem with buying options is that you've got to go into it understanding that you can lose 100% of your money. And that's okay. Um, puts are insurance. It protects you against the downside drag of the market. And it's like buying a life insurance policy. You know, you pay for life insurance forever until you die. <laughs> it only pays off once, right? But for years, you're going to pay into this. Well, puts are, the, are like insurance. You buy it for the event that may occur, like auto insurance. You buy auto insurance in the event you have a crash. That's all insurance is. 
puts expire worthless. So if you are, are not willing to lose the money you put into a put, then don't do it, right? But if you understand how to use options and understand how to use to buy S&P puts, they're a great way to hedge a portfolio. So Mike, let me throw it to you. Do you think now would be a good time to add some puts to your portfolio? But uh, you know what? I, you know, I think there's various ways you can hedge yourself you depending on how much you want to hedge yourself. May occur you can just sell and sit in cash. You can potentially even buy bonds if you think that longer bonds will do better. And you can buy, you know, you can buy put options or you could do a number of strategies where you sell calls, buy puts. Um, the, the thing with puts and calls and, you know, options in general is idea you know, it's a great idea, just like owning insurance, but there's a cost, right? If I have to pay half a million a, a year for a $2 million insurance policy, it, it makes no sense, right? So, so you have to look at the cost of that policy. Now, if you do want to buy puts, the cost, which is shows up in many different ways, but one of the key drivers is volatility. And volatility has been very low for the last two weeks. Uh, it's inched up. It, it came up yesterday. It's, I'm sure it's up this morning again. So, you know, it's a question of you put that money down, expecting like insurance that you're going to lose it. But if it, you know, if it helps you feel better, if it protects some of what you have, if you don't want to sell, it's another tool in the toolbox that, you know, you should consider. But there are ramifications to using it, both positive and negative. Right. So, you know, and again, this is, you know, this is something that, you know, if you're comfortable with it, like Mike said, it's something that's worth doing. And the question, though, is right now, is there a big risk? In order for, for put options to pay off, you really need volatility to pick up and you need the market to correct, right? Um, you need to, we need to have that 5 to 10% correction. That's where you're going to make decent money with, with buying puts. I don't know if we're going to get that. Um, you know, it's where we are in the markets right now is there's still there's still one hundred and twenty billion dollars a month in QE coming in. So, you know, if the market starts to sell off here a bit, I would expect some more rhetoric from the Fed saying, hey, we're you know, we're just thinking about thinking about potentially talking about tapering. Right. We're not doing it now. Right. Um, right. And so you'll start to see some of these supports come out. So I don't think there's risk of a big drawdown in the markets. Um, the 20 day and the 50 day moving average are right below market prices right now. There's some decent support there. Now, if we crack the 50 day now, all of a sudden there is actually a fairly big chance that we'll have a 5% correction. So I would probably just wait a day or so. You're going to wind up paying a little bit more for the put options if you wait, but I would kind of wait till we get through the end of this week before doing anything to allow our daily and weekly signals to confirm. Um, signals are only good at the end of the week. Um, too many things can change intra week. You have a big spike in the market one way or the other. And it'll reverse those signals fairly quickly. So, again, wait till the end of the week. Let's review our newsletter this weekend, which you can get at our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, if you haven't already subscribed. And then we can talk about next week whether or not adding puts is a good thing. So another question was uh, this morning also was, well, if the Fed's always wrong, then, you know, what's the probability? And I made the comment earlier on the show is that the, when you look at the Fed's predictions about economic growth, inflation, employment, they're always wrong. They always, they're always kind of overly exuberant about the growth they're going to get, and we never get it, right? And so the question is, if they're, if they're kind of always wrong, then, you know, what does that lead to down the road in terms of, you know, changes to policy and, of course, you know, changes to markets, et cetera? So, you know, that's, 
you know, this is the problem that the Fed always runs into is they're always late to the game. You know, they they think that one thing's going to happen, so then they start hiking rates, and then what we find out is is that economic growth isn't nearly as strong, and inflation isn't running nearly as hot, and they've already started this process of tapering. This is what happened back in 2018. The Fed was hiking rates and tapering their balance sheet, and they said, oh, we're nowhere near a normal rate. Uh, well, sorry, nowhere near a neutral rate. And about two months later, they're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're completely <laughs> – we're all good. We're going to stop tapering and, and uh, you know stop raising interest rates. So it doesn't take long for them to figure out they're on the wrong side of the table. Right, right. And uh, look, the Fed's always wrong, but the markets, you know, if you look at interest rate projections or, or GDP projections, the market, these economic uh, forecasters from all the big banks have been wrong most often, mm-hmm. right? So it's everyone's wrong. Right. So we we know that economic growth, no one wants to admit that economic growth will be slower in the future than it is. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's the trend. And that's been the trend for 30 years. And these trends are very easy to see if you look at a graph. Right. But 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 this time is different. And, you know, it's a new age and and the Internet and then now crypto and you got this and that the Internet of things and you got all these new advances. But at the end of the day, there are so many trends that point to lower economic growth, growth, not decline, but lower economic growth than we had in the past. And when that when that occurs, whether it's three months because the stimulus wears off or whether it's nine months, we don't know. The Fed doesn't know. The Fed made that very clear. Powell made that very clear yesterday. Look, we don't have a playbook for this. This has never happened. Right. So take everything with a grain of salt, not just from the Fed, but from Wall Street, from Lance and myself, from everyone. We've never been through anything like this, but we do know kind of where the odds favor certain things. Right. But what we don't know is if things slow down, will we get another check from the government? Will the Fed say we're going to do more QE? We're not going to taper. Right. So it's a very dynamic situation and you just have to play along with it. Yeah, and I, change your opinion. I Not disagree. be led to opinions I, let, me just, let me just tell you right now, the answer to both those questions is yes. They're going to do more QE and issue more checks. Most <laughs> that's likely. Gonna, that's that's going to be, that's just, you know, that's the new, that's the new tool in the toolbox now is like, hey, let's just send checks directly to people. But so I've got to figure out how to lower my income so I can start getting those checks. That's an interesting story yesterday. My, uh, uh, my son came in and he was uh, getting ready to go to work and I asked him, I said, that, you know, I said, is your, is your girlfriend still working over at, uh, you know, Villa Sport, which is this athletic club here in town? He says, oh, no, she only worked there for about a month because she qualified for government checks. And so she got $12,000 in checks. And so she could quit her job. That's the problem with government stimulus. She worked one month and they got $12,000 worth of stimulus checks. So she quit her job. Right. Now she's looking right. for it now. Now the checks have run out and now she's looking for a new job. But she'll find one easily for at that at that age bracket and at that income level. You're you're absolutely right. right. But because she's looking for, you know, it'll be a job in retail or restaurant, whatever it is. Right. But that's the whole that's the problem. You know, you know, a lot of the, the you know economists say, well, you know, checks didn't keep people from going to work. She quit her job because she was getting so much money from the government. I mean, right. why would you go to work if you're making enough not to work? So that's the problem with these incentives. They sound great on the surface, but they have an underlying economic deterioration that we fail to understand. But we keep and so we keep repeating it, trying to figure out why it's not working. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, Mike. Thanks a lot. Uh, get by the website. Yep. 
and uh, get our, uh, Mike's latest article. It's on the website now, talking about taper and why you should own bonds. That's on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, click on our newsletter link. Make sure you're subscribed. We'll go through the signals that we've got going on right now. Uh, we'll see how this week wraps up, and I'll write about that in this weekend's newsletter and how we're portfo- um, uh, positioning our portfolio. Uh, that'll be the newsletter. So just make sure you're subscribed at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. And of course, uh, stick around. We'll have our three minutes on markets and money out here shortly on our YouTube channel right there at the website as well. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow. See you then. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.